You're listening to Building Resilient Health Infrastructure with Asper, a podcast from the HHS Asper Critical Infrastructure Protection Division. If you have any questions about this episode, please email us at cip at hhs.gov. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Michael Eltringham, a analyst within the HHS Asper Critical Infrastructure Protection Division, or the SIP Division, as we like to call it. I'm joined by our Division Director, Dr. Laura Wolf. How are you, Dr. Wolf? Great. We're Thanks, back. Mike. We're back again with another episode. Today's question that we'll be tackling, why do we care about cybersecurity? So I think today we want to kind of talk about how that relates to HBH critical infrastructure, because I think to a lot of folks, it might not be an obvious connection. But can you kind of touch on, first of all, just how it's connected to the various subsectors within our partnership? Absolutely. So it is so critical to the functioning of healthcare and public health infrastructure. We rely on connections to the internet and connections between devices um, to, to pull up information uh, when we need it, to help devices work, to record images. Um, really, a majority of the work that we do relies on um, cyber systems. Even the functioning of a building uh, relies on industrial control systems or ICS systems that are just as vulnerable as, as other types of uh, cyber systems. What about the concept of PHI? Can you talk about that a little bit? Personal health information. Sure. So it, it, it used to be um, that different types of personal information was at risk to cyber attacks. So it used to be your uh, social security number or insurance information that was sought after for fraud. Um, now it, it's becoming more apparent that your personal health information, which is uh, often stored on the web, is a target. Uh, it is more lucrative for um, individuals to steal health information and use that uh, for Medicare benefits or, or other types of, of insurance benefits and fraud uh, than, than other types of information. So that's uh, a risk. But also um, other personal devices uh, are a risk to us because they're connected to cyber systems. So if you think about insulin pumps or pacemakers or other types of medical devices, uh, they're also a, a, a risk uh, that we hadn't, um, hadn't considered so seriously in years past. It's not only the information, it's the devices themselves. And one of the challenges is if there were a cyber attack on devices, we may not recognize it for a while. We may not know that it's happening, and that sort of insidious attack uh, may cause us to lose trust in some of the devices that we have or the systems that we use. We talk about the cyber attacks, uh, and there, there were several of them uh, that impacted our sector, uh, and specifically healthcare facilities within our sector. And, and one of the specific types of attacks was a ransomware attack. Uh, and without getting into too much detail, just to give a kind of general overview, ransomware is basically where a malicious actor, a, a hacker or some kind of uh, cybersecurity expert who is, a, like I said, a malicious actor, uh, will hack into the system of a healthcare facility and tell the operators of that facility that until they pay a ransom, they won't have access to it, and that includes patient records, electronic health records, all that kind of stuff. So can you talk a little about that a little bit? Sure, and it's not always... Um being hacked into to have these ransomware attacks. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a, a, a phishing um, email that starts this all out. So uh, an individual receives an, an email and it may have a malicious link in it and clicking that link allows uh, the bad actor to have access to those systems. So there's a, there's a variety of ways this, this can move forward. 
the attacks in 2017 were international. They didn't start in the United States. Healthcare in the United States was not targeted. Uh, it, it was a malicious worm that self-propagated throughout systems, uh, starting in foreign countries and, and making its way to the U.S. through connected uh, systems and infrastructure. So there are a, a couple myths, and, and we'll talk a little bit, we'll touch on the response aspect of that and, and how our partnership and, and our uh, division responds to a cyber attack. But can you touch on some of the kind of common myths that you've heard uh, in, in you know, dealing with these responses and kind of the, the truth behind them? Absolutely. So we always hear, uh, well, I'm not a target. Uh, no one wants my information. They're going to go to bigger systems. So the myth would be that large systems are always the target. And as I mentioned before, there may not be a specific target. There certainly sometimes are targets, but when you see these large international incidents, uh, you may be the unfortunate uh, victim of the attack without even being targeted. So don't think because of the size of your organization or the specificity or connection to, to some other large entity, um, don't think you're immune, if you will, uh, because you're smaller. Uh, everyone is vulnerable to uh, a lot of the threats that are out there. What about the idea that, uh, let's say you get approached by that bad actor and they say, pay this ransom, and that someone wants to say, okay, we'll pay that, you know, and just right away, that's, that's the easiest solution. What about that kind of concept? Sure. Well, well that has worked in the past. Um, <clears throat> the government certainly does not recommend that because when you pay ransom, that's exactly what uh, the perpetrators want, and that encourages them to perform further attacks. So we don't encourage that. Um, but that is a business decision up to the entity that's, that's being attacked. I do want it to be very clear, though, that paying ransom is not always going to be a solution. Um, in, in several instances, we've seen that it's not really the goal of the actor to get ransom. It's really to do something else, to wipe systems or, or to um, uh, cause other sorts of, of mayhem. And so we've seen instances where ransom was paid and the key was not given. So it is not always uh, a given that uh, paying ransom will help you in any way. And what about the idea that there will always be a patch? Right. So for both WannaCry and Petya Not Petya, the um, incident utilized a vulnerability in a Microsoft system for which there was a patch. And so we didn't see a lot of impacts in the U.S. because many systems had, had done that patching and updated those systems ahead of time. Um, but there are what are called zero-day events. That's where uh, the actors use a vulnerability that hasn't been considered before and hasn't been patched. So it may take days to patch, or it may be an incident that takes weeks to patch. You may have to think of how to use, uh, how to get around systems that aren't functioning or that have to be taken offline uh, if those patches can't be found. So it's an important field and it's obviously getting more and more important every day as the world becomes more and more digital. So it's something that we'll keep our eye on, continue to work with, and like you said, work with that subject matter expertise who can help us really uh, you know, help secure that cyber infrastructure within the healthcare and public health sector. That's right, Mike. And I, before we close, I do want to give a plug that one of our most active working groups in the partnership is our cybersecurity working group. The executive director of that is Greg Garcia. And so hopefully we'll have him on a future podcast as well to talk about the work of that group. Absolutely. That'd be great. So that's our episode for today. Thank you everyone for listening again. Again, if you have any questions uh, about anything you heard on the podcast today, 
Uh, or if you have just you know general questions or feedback uh, about the HPH Sector Partnership or the Asper SIP Division, uh, please email us at CIP at HHS.gov. Again, that's CIP at HHS.gov. Thank you.